Hey everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey artists, and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're diving in with Alex Mito. Alex is the co-founder and CEO of Superfine Art Fair. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy you're here. I am a huge fan of Superfine, and I know that this is going to be a really valuable episode for all of the artists who are tuning in. I had the chance of visiting Superfine and participating in the panel discussion in September in New York. So Thank you so much for for having me there. It was amazing to meet you and see all the incredible work. Yeah, of course. It was a great show to come see because this year's New York show was just incredible. We had over 120 artists and great location on 23rd Street and the Flatiron. It was really a neat show, and I'm glad you were able to be there and participate, Victoria. It was beautiful. The work was really, really incredible. And there was this sense of camaraderie amongst the artists that I noticed as soon as I walked in. Um, And I've spoken a little bit further with some of the artists who participated and they said that that was one of the big highlights was just like working like together alongside the other artists and being in community really with other artists and also of course making sales. (laughs) But I would love to start by just asking you like what inspired you to launch Superfine? Tell us the story. How did it begin? Yeah, absolutely. But I also just quickly want to underscore the two things you just said, because we ask 700 artists per year what they like about Superfine. And you just got the top two. Uh, the number one <laughs> is making sales and growing their their market. And number two is always the camaraderie and the connections with other artists. And I'm always so happy. And this kind of segues into an answer to your question. I'm going to get back to it. But I'm always so happy to see when artists meet at the fair. And then I see that they're putting on a group show somewhere together. They've rented a space in some city and are doing something cool or that they're collaborating on artwork. I've seen that happen many, many, many times. Um, or they just become friends and support systems. So I think that's such a neat, like not distance number two, like sales, great money. Awesome. We love it. But number two, like that feeling of a community, which is really kind of hard to find is something that I think artists really get out of super fine. So what inspired us to start it? I did not come from art. I've never worked in an art gallery. I've never studied art. I had one art history class in college. Always enjoyed it. I I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. I uh, would go to the Dali Museum for every single family visit, every single field trip in school. Uh, At least that's what I thought. I didn't think there were other artists besides Dali. I thought Dali was the only artist and that was the only person who made art. I I found out differently later, which was good. But I grew up around art in that capacity, and I lived in Miami kind of at the beginning of the Art Basel craze when there were like five events you had to check out that weekend and not 5,000. So I I just was tangentially a visitor, like a a viewer. Um, I was in the hospitality business since I was very young. I've been in restaurants since I was a baby. I owned my first restaurant at 15. I had a restaurant in New York City at 23. I was in the New York Times at 24 uh, for food, and that's what I came from. And I was asked to do the cafes at Scope Art Fair, which is a big international street art, kind of uh, new contemporary pop art art fair. I was friends with the organizers. I'd known them for years. You know, they invited me to be the cafe. So I was like, okay, I'll be the cafe. 
it was fun. I enjoyed it. I had a great team. My team worked hard and I wandered around the fair a lot of the time and looked at the art and talked to the dealers and talked to the artists who came to see what the art fair was about. And I always admired uh, the way they, they organized scope, the way they built their own brand. And I, there's a lot of art fairs I admire that do a really good job of brand building. Some I don't like, and I'll tell you those one day privately, but many do a really cool job. Um, but one of the things I was seeing and at the time, um, around, around the same time I started dating James, who's my business partner, was, is my ex-romantic partner, co-founder of Superfine. Uh, James was a young emerging artist. He was making photography. He was in college. I had this little tiny space in the Lower East Side that used to be a restaurant. It used to be my restaurant. I turned it into like a little pop-up gallery space. So we started showing James's work there. And in other, we did a pop-up exhibition in Nolita, which was like very well covered. It was in summer 2015. We put his work into shows, fairs. He started attracting attention from dealers who wanted to show it and sell it, you know, all over different cities and in the world. And every arrangement just like didn't feel right. And I just, every artist I talked to was the same thing. They wanted to meet dealers. They wanted to meet collectors. They wanted to meet curators, but their actual income and like the reality of their careers did not reflect success in that regard. It was like, okay, I want to meet these people, but like, where's the success? And it just seemed like artists were being taught to go to school, leave school, go around with a portfolio, try to get represented, get a show every couple of years and, and live below the poverty line and like bartender or give massages or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's a great career if that's what you want to do. But if what you want to do is make art, you should make art. So the other side of that equation was I was a 27-year-old in New York who had a little bit of change in my pocket, not a ton, but enough to maybe buy a print here and there, like a little cool original from an artist. But I, there was no place to do it in 2015 unless you were like a direct member of like the Bushwick art community and you had a friend who you trade some art with. I mean, you really couldn't get into the market. Like you walk into a gallery, even like the cool hip Lower East Side Chinatown galleries, you walk in, no one looks up from their MacBook. Nobody cares that you're there. You don't look like a collector. I mean, I'm still just wearing a t-shirt. Let's, I still do that. And you know, it just, that's how it felt. And my, you know, barring you're like a person of color or a young woman, whatever, no one's looking at you like a collector. They're the only people they're looking at are the older couples walking in that look like they're dripping in money and they want to buy a bunch of art and have a wing in a museum named after them. God bless them. We love them too. But people like us couldn't buy art and people who had art were making it constantly couldn't sell it. And we're buying into this system where I think the number is like 3% of working artists are making more than six figures. Imagine accountants. How many accountants make six figures? How many lawyers? How many doctors? How many like fill in the blanks? I mean, I have friends who do random jobs that do really, really well. Landscape architects, gardeners, whatever. I have a friend who does tiling work who makes $250,000 a year. So why were artists selling what is essentially a luxury good, something that people who have money can afford, but they're living this way and buying into the system. That was the, the prevailing question. These two questions, why can't interested buyers buy art and why are artists having trouble selling it through a system that doesn't seem to be working well? So that was super fun. We wanted to create a, a space where it was economical, where it was, it was sustainable, lasting. We made some decisions very, very, very early that really affected the trajectory of our business, but also the overall art market, at least at the level that we're building it. We didn't want to be a gallery. We did a couple little pop-up shows and things, but we didn't see the economics of it because we couldn't possibly represent 
you know, as many artists as are able to show through the super fine ecosystem by being a gallery. You could take on 10, 15 artists, maybe another group show per year with another 10, 15 artists. So 20, 25 artists. And because there's no money coming in only through sales and everyone, you know, that's often, I think that's a miscalculation that you, by the fact that the typical gallery model, there's no money flowing to the gallery, except if artists sold, it's like, wow, it's going to light a fire under them. The reality is it makes them like solo entrepreneur businesses that have no budget for marketing. And they're relying on internal connections to hopefully sell everyone's art. Now, I will say I have friends who are curators, gallerists, who just are so passionate and so amazing and so good at marketing and PR, and they really kick ass for their artists. That happens. But I will. I really believe even today that is the minority. And definitely 10 years ago, it was the minority. There was a lot of you know, minimally funded art galleries really trying to sell artists' work without really the resources to do it. So we built a model that was sustainable in the sense that we have the resources all the artists participate, all the artists are paying the cost of the event, the marketing, the production of us putting on a proper art fair for them. That's what we did. That, that, that was probably the biggest decision we made was, was to be an art fair and to really focus in on artists, uh, not to be like a, you know, a gallery art fair or to kind of split it up and be like mishmash. We're really focused on artists and make putting the artists forward. Amazing. Amazing. I, Really appreciate you sharing all of that. And it's helpful to learn more about what Superfine is rooted in and what led you to launch it. I think it's evolved so much. I mean, I think that before I heard about Superfine, the only art fair that I was really familiar with was the other art fair by Saatchi. Uh, so art fairs weren't even really on my radar. And then I started hearing about Superfine from artists that I was working with or artist friends that I had. And it feels like you've just grown so much over the past several years, which is incredible. What would you contribute to your growth? Like, how have you been able to kind of spread the word and connect with more artists and just expand? I, I mentioned some big decisions we made. And another really big one we made in about 2018 was we we got rid of all outbound sales and outreach. I'm, I'm talking, this is a little bit marketing speak, but our job is essentially, we have, you know, we have multiple jobs. One job is to recruit artists into the super fine ecosystem, new artists, and then to have, you know, a, a kind of a sustainable renewal system of, of the artists who are in it. I was really bolstered because I was in the DC fair uh, two weeks ago and it was like 60 to 70% artists who I, I knew and had been in previous fairs. So it's walking around going, Hey, how you doing? Oh, how's it going? Oh, I haven't seen you in two weeks. How are you? Which is really nice. And I love as much as I love introducing myself to people. It's nice to be familiar. Um, so I really like that. That's one thing. One thing is just this kind of community that we built that just kind of propels itself forward and grows organically. We've got one artist, um, who we've worked with since 2022, who must have, she must have referred 30 more artists from her community to our fair. And another, another woman who might've referred 20, there's quite a few people like that who are like our superstars who really spread the, the message. That's one thing. But when I talk about switching from outbound to inbound, and that's a big question I get when I'm interviewed for marketing podcasts and when I'm interviewed for any kind of anything, right? It's like, oh my God, like, do you go out and find the artist? Or honestly, no, we don't anymore. We do certain partnerships like this weekend uh, and this month, actually, we've done a really cool partnership with Artspan SF, which uh, administers SF Open Studios in San Francisco. 
we were part of their gala and like we judged uh, the artwork and we chose the best piece. It was actually my partner, James. So my, my, my understanding of it might not be complete, but we did some really cool things and they co-hosted our opening in San Francisco last night, which is really cool. So we have meaningful partnerships like that one, Chishama in New York City, Fountainhead in Miami, and so on and so forth. But really the meat and potatoes of it for us is word of mouth and and just broad marketing that puts our message out there and then artists come in to us, they review kind of what we're about, get a sense of our system. They speak with my co-founder, James, talk to him. He's also an artist. So there's a lot of, you know, James shows his art at our fairs. He shows his art at other fairs, puts on his own shows. So he knows some of the the challenges and foibles that artists might face. So they have this little interview. And then it's kind of at that point, we kind of know if they're going to be a fit or not. And it's a fit is always two ways. It's not like, oh, I popped down some money on the table and now like, I'm a great client or vice versa. It's like, it's got to be a two-way fit. You've got to get what the fair is about. We've got to get what you're about. We've got to be on the same page. You know, if you're coming in here thinking it's like a $3,000 booth and you're walking out with $100,000 in your pocket, that's not the event for you. It's not the, not the ecosystem for you. But likewise, if you think that you're just putting up a show and then you're walking away for four days and cross your fingers, it's, it's a working professional art fair where you interact, you meet, you get pub, you get real reactions from the public to your work. So it, it really comes down to like, we function more as a magnet now than as like a, uh, I don't know, go out and get people. That's, that's what we did for the first couple of years. It was very much less effective. This is a, this is a better method. And it, I recommend it to artists as well as your seeking collectors, like rather than going out and like fishing for them and trying to convince people to buy your art, just, just be a magnet, like really bring them to you. Um, so that's, that's one of the big things we've done. That's how we've, that's probably been the the number one thing that's propelled our growth. Incredible. I think it's just really wonderful that you've had so much organic growth and that the community has just expanded so much. And I agree. I think that with artists, it is, it's attracting collectors. And I think that comes from just putting yourself out there as much as you can um, and increasing visibility for yourself. So a question that I have for you is what advice would you give to an artist who's interested in applying to Superfine or thinking about participating in Superfine? Yeah, a couple things. Um, The first thing I would say is go to our website, uh, click everything. Uh, pay, like like click around, check out all the different tabs. Uh, there's one called Sell Your Art, which really tells the story. There's a lot of testimonials from other artists on there. Um, the other thing I would say is you're listening to this episode, which is great. You're getting to know me a little bit and getting to know Superfine a little bit. But we also have a podcast, The Artist Business Plan. Victoria, I'd love to have you on that podcast as well. We should do that. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, definitely listen to a few episodes. Pick out, you know, if you know a few guests by name, like, you know, we have Marina Granger from The Artist Advisory has been on at least twice. Um, the gals from Create Magazine have been on at least twice. So if you have a name that you recognize or just a topic that you're interested in, listen, listen to two or three episodes, get a sense of kind of where we come from. Um, that's something even for me, having hosted that for three years, it this has been the year that it's come home for me that how much it affects artists. Um, I've been walking around my fairs and talking to artists and especially the newer ones, the ones that aren't the ones I'm like, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you after two weeks. But the newer ones, I walk up and I'm like, Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Alex. And they're like, I, I know who you are. I've, I've actually listened to every episode twice. And I'm like, that's so great. And I've heard things like it got them through tough times it, that, you know, when they're working in their studio, it inspires them that you know, made them quit their job or like reduce their hours at their day job so they could focus on art. Um, so I've heard all these really wonderful things. So I, 
I'm not trying to toot our own horn. I'm just saying it's a way of getting to know us as people behind the brand and the vision of Superfine. So that's a really big, really off the top of my head, recent development um, piece of advice that I don't think I've ever given on a podcast before, but definitely a good way to get to know who we are and why we do this. The more like nuts and bolts, meat and potatoes or vegetables and potatoes, if you're a vegetarian, ideas that are uh, advice I would give you is make sure that your expectations are where they should be. And I kind of alluded to that just now. Do we have artists that pay? Our booth fees are between $2,000 and $6,000, more or less for artists. There's like larger booths sometimes, but it's like two to six. And you figure in shipping, your lodging and things like that. Are you necessarily going to like quadruple that with 100% certainty in the four days of the fair? No. Is it a strong possibility that you will in the in the three to six months following the fair and the fair? Absolutely. It's really about understanding what this is and understanding that art as a good is, and I said this earlier, it is a luxury good. I know it's this like beautiful, precious, one of a kind thing that we create, but it's also something people trade their money for. And it is, if we're, and as much as I will say, I think art is a necessity. I have so much art. I have over 700 pieces of original art in three houses and I have some in storage. Sadly, I'd like to get it out and put it somewhere. I love art. I think it's a necessity. That being said, objectively speaking, food is a bigger necessity. Transit is a bigger necessity. Clothing, childcare, these are bigger necessities for people. Art is a luxury. It's a thing that they buy with whatever remaining money they have. This goes for people who are everywhere from a billionaire to someone who pulls $30,000 a year. So knowing that, that, that piece of information, just kind of making peace with it, makes you understand that this is, it's not a Snickers bar at the checkout line at a grocery store. It is something that someone comes to an art fair. They know because the way we market Superfine, they know this is a marketplace to buy art. They know this. They don't think it is like a demonstration or a showcase. I really try to avoid the word showcase. It's not a showcase. It's, it's a marketplace. It's a place to buy art and to sell art and to meet artists. We put that first and foremost in all of our marketing. We have anywhere from 30 to 50% of our visitors buy art, which is incredible. That's not common. But you also have to understand They've never encountered your work before. They're not coming because it's Damien Hurst or because it's Madonna or whatever. They're coming because they want to meet new artists. They've never encountered you nine times out of 10. They don't know who you are. So they see your work for the first time. They meet you. They're developing a relationship. Could they buy a $5,000 painting? Yes. If they absolutely fall in love, it's possible. Is that the greatest likelihood? No. It's likely they're going to buy a print. They're going to buy an original that's $500, $700, $1,000. They might buy nothing. But they might, you know, you can grab their email addresses, make them part of your community, follow each other on Instagram, forge a connection. Those, that's your, that's your, we call KPI in marketing, your key performance indicator, your key performance indicator of an art fair, whether it's super fine, whether it's our competitors at the other art fair, whether it's the, the ones in Miami, the red dot spectrum, whether it's you putting on a show yourself in your own neighborhood. Your KPI is not the dollars that you take home on Sunday night. It really isn't. I would say get that out of your head from the start. Your KPI are the number of seriously interested folks that you build relationships with at the fair. If you build 50 relationships per fair, let's that's a high, let's let's say you build 30 relationships at a fair. You do four fairs per year per year. You have 120 new, I'll call them collectors, that you can that you bring into your community. It is so hard to get that. You can run thousands of dollars in Facebook advertisements. You can be in 10 gallery shows per year, but you will not get a hundred new people 
who have either put real money down for your art, whether it's $100 for a print, whether it's thousands of dollars for an original, or whether, again, it's nothing, but they, you know that they like it and you know that they want to continue to, to participate in your career. To get 100, 200, 300 new collectors in your community per year, that's your retirement plan. That's how you will build your sales year over year. So I, that's a long answer to your question, Victoria, but it really is like coming in with strong expectations and, and understanding what your key performance indicator, your KPI is, and that it really is those that the number of people that you add to your community. That being said, there are so many tips and tricks for selling more art during the fair. A spread of pricing, so important, so important. Do not walk into a fair with 20 paintings that are $1,000 each. Why? No one has anywhere to base your value on. Again, they've never met you. They don't know who you are. They're comparing you to you alone. So if you have only $1,000 pieces or only $5,000 pieces or only $100 pieces, they don't know. So if you have things ranging from $100, $200, $300, $500, $700, $800, $1,200, $1,500, $2,000, and then you have some big showstoppers that are $5,000, $10,000, $7,000, someone sees that you have range. They see that you work in different scale. And you don't have to. I'm not telling you if you, if you make tiny pieces, I'm not telling you you have to go make the biggest mural in the world right now. It, you have to lean into your own practice, but having a spread of, of prices across size, you know, maybe, maybe the materials used, I mean, you have some charcoal sketches that are $500 and then you've got some oil paintings that are 2,500. You're a photographer. You've got some open editions for 150. You've got some editions out of 50 for 500. And then you've got some one out of three editions for $3,000. And you can tell that story with a little like placard next to the work that this one is really important to you and you've only made three of it. It's really great. This one you want to make sure everyone has access to. It's up to you to tell those stories. But having that spread of pricing, really, really, really key to your success. More so than me telling you the ideal price is $700. No, that's not it. It's the spread. The spread creates what we call an anchoring bias. It gives a, a, a person and just walking into your booth, it gives them an anchor the anchor being the lowest and highest, which makes the middle make sense to them. So very important for, and, and it's interesting because the art world doesn't talk about that, but every other place where things are sold has that. Everything, every single store in the world, every flea market, anything you anything where you can buy something, there is a low, medium, and a high. Very important anchoring bias, number one principle to take home besides uh, managing your KPI and making sure you know what you're looking for out of the fair. I'm going to give one more. I mean, one more, Victoria, then we'll be moving on. If it's your first time doing a fair, people get overly concerned or like they start thinking like, oh, I think I'm, I'm good in the LA market. I think the LA market would love my work. I think the DC market would love my work. I think the New York market. Okay, there are differences from market to market. The truth is no one can tell you what they are because your work is individual. So nobody can tell you like, oh, you paint palm trees. You'll be great in LA. I don't know, maybe DC, like maybe people want to be reminded of the beach when they're in DC. Very, 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 very hard for me, for James, or for anyone to tell you this city. We don't, we also don't know who in that city is going to come to the fair that weekend. So the best way to know is, is to participate and to see and to test. So that being said that I don't think there's a huge, I'm coming from the mouth of the horse. I don't think there's a huge difference from city to city in, in the taste in art. I mean, there's, cause it really depends on the people that indiv the individuals who actually come and the time of year, it depends on so many factors. So what I would say is this best thing to do is for you to think about which cities you can do the most 
economically for yourself. So if you live in DC, do DC for your first fare. Don't worry. Don't be, don't think like, oh, I already have all the collectors in DC. You don't. There's a ton of people that have never bought your art or seen your art or heard of your art and they'll come. Same for New York, same for Miami, same for anywhere. Do whatever is easiest. And if, if let's say you want to do San Francisco and you've got a great friend out there, call them up. Hey, I'm going to do an art show. You know, maybe uh, if I get you tickets for the opening night, can I stay in your guest room? That makes it super economical. Then you've just got a plane trip. It's not crazy. What I don't suggest is thinking to yourself, I think, you know, don't make these bets where you're like, I think San Francisco is the perfect market. I'm going to get, you know, the eight days in a hotel room and fly out there and I'm going to get my art created and sent out there and your expenses just add up, 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 up. So where day one, you're sitting there and you're in the hole and you're like, oh my gosh, like I I really, you want to be like calm, happy, excited on day one. So more so than any particular market being the best one for your work, think about which one is the best for you as an individual to participate in. And you're going to come in with a better state of mind and, and be better at selling your art. Thank you for sharing all of those strategies, especially for, you know, I'm thinking of artists that are tuning in that perhaps haven't participated before, but are considering it. This is really, really uh, wonderful advice. So thank you for sharing all of that. And you know, as you were speaking, it was just reminding me that I've had so many conversations with artists who've participated in Superfine over the last few years and have said to me like, yeah, they made some great sales at the fair, but the best, one of the best parts for them were the resi- was the residual sales that came, the connections that they made with collectors, the email addresses they got for their mailing list, which ultimately led to sales further down the line. So I think it really is about having that mindset that you described of, okay, um, there's a good chance I could come in and sell a ton of work, but also there's value in just making those connections that could be really great further down the line. There's so much value in that. Absolutely. And I just want to take that moment to draw a line here because there is a, a dirty word in the art and creative industry. And it's been going around for as long as I've been around, maybe maybe longer. That's exposure. Exposure, right? And I we're not talking about exposure. What you just summarized, Victoria, what I'm talking about is not exposure. That's creating community. That's that's building connections. That's building relationships and then ultimately selling your art and and possibly more than selling, possibly getting commissions, being you know curated into shows, things like that. Exposure is the idea that if I put something up somewhere that others will then seek me out. It's very rare. Like it's very, very rare. Like I, I mean, have I sat in a restaurant, seen an art on the wall and have I chased down the artist and bought it? Yeah, it's happened. But I am a pretty anomalous person in that where most people will just sit there and they'll eat and they'll be like, well, this is a really pretty place and they'll go home. And so exposure to people and creating connections and community are two different things. So the difference being when you're creating connections, you're gathering their information. You're becoming friends on Instagram. I'm not, I'm not into TikTok yet, but maybe that's a thing for the next generation. But you're becoming friends on Instagram. You're, you're playing a role in each other's lives. You're gathering their emails, gathering their emails. I said it twice because it's really important. Like, you don't need everyone's emails. Never buy an email list. You don't need the person who you visibly doesn't care to see your work or be in your booth. That's okay. They, they have their own preferences. They'll move on. They'll find another booth they like better. That's okay. That's totally fine. Don't, don't be offended. You need the people who are engaging. And that might be 30 people. That may be 300. It may be 100. I don't know. But gathering their emails, getting their information. I prefer that to business cards. I'll go down and say that. Like I prefer to business cards. Business cards rely on the concept that a person will go home, 
put that somewhere and then be thinking about you two weeks from now and not like the 800 billion other things they have going on. Like they're, they're picking up their kids, they're going to the doctor, they're working 40, 50 hours, whatever, that they're going to be like, I need to find this business card that I saw two weeks ago and I need to reach out. Are you going to get some? Yeah. If you give out 10,000 business cards, you're going to get 10 emails. Sure. hundred percent. If you gather 1000 emails and you're diligent it doesn't have to be weekly or daily, but if you're diligent with sending out updates, you will get more sales, more people, more interest. I bought a painting off a newsletter yesterday. Like, for, like someone sent me a newsletter. I was, ooh, I like that. And I bought it, you know, $1,800. So it's like you, you will get so much more, so much more. So again, connections and community are over here. Super important. Exposure over here. Take it or leave it. <laughs> That's my opinion. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate you like, drawing the distinction between the two. And um, I mentor a lot of artists and many of them have participated in Superfine. And one of the first questions I always ask them is like, how many uh, email addresses <laughs> were you able to gather from the fair? Uh, because that really is where so much of the value is, uh, which you're describing. I wanted to ask you, what has been the best part for you personally uh, since you've launched Superfine? What has been the most rewarding part of it? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, because sometimes, you know, with the volume of fairs, we've had five fairs in the past four months and, you know, two last month alone, one this weekend, it can sometimes get lost. You're just like running around, you're making fairs and it's, it's really cool. I'd say one thing that's, that's just great. And this is maybe a little bit of a superficial answer, but seeing these places just go from nothing, just like empty spaces, been like really cool locations. Like we're, you know, we have a view of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. We're in the middle of Union Market in DC. We were in the Flatiron in New York. We're really blessed to have these awesome spaces, but seeing them go from just a big empty space to like this beautiful, like city of art in three days is, is mind boggling. That's really cool. Um, and again, a little superficial because I'm just like, I walk around, I'm like, oh my gosh, we do this. This is great. The artist do this. Awesome. Um, but uh, the other, you know, the, the less superficial answer is just seeing artists build not only careers, like I, I said in the very beginning, it, it careers and community around not only their art in this like abstract kind of like, oh, I like in my studio making art, but in their practice of, I, I think there's like this, this disconnect sometimes with and people will state it like it's just a fact like art and business don't go hand in hand i'm like okay like says who like wh why are we perpetuating this rhetoric like it's not real like i mean when someone gives you money for even if you don't believe in money you know like oh that's like a construct of human invention whatever someone's trading time that they spent doing their job for something that you spent and and that's really cool and so that kind of economy is not just money based it's it's like it's relationships i mean what some of my closest friends are our earliest collectors from superfine like way back when it was like there was you know it was basically just me and james in a big building like you know it was a very different model it was the very first one but we met people there who came there to buy art but we forged relationships and we've been friends for nine years now and so it's like it's it's a community among the artists is really cool to see and just seeing them grow, but it's the community between the artists and their collectors, their audience. And the fact that we've been doing this like close to a decade, I always say this, I'm like, like, don't look at a 24 year old and be like, oh, 24 year old, they're not going to buy anything. Like sell them something, be, make them part of your audience because you're going to be doing this in 10 years. They're going to be 34. You're going to be doing it in 10 years. They're going to be 44. If someone's 30 now, they're going to be 40. And I've watched 
our audience grow. I've watched the artists grow. And I've, and, and I think that's so cool. Like that I've heard stories like, Oh, we bought like a print in the 2017 New York fair. Then we just bought our house upstate. Like, you know, we both got like great jobs. Now we bought a house upstate and we just had, we just commissioned that. This is a true story from my sound tech guy who put up my speakers when he was like 25, 26, him and his wife bought a beautiful home and they commissioned one of the artists to do like a huge piece that hangs over their dining table. So that's super cool. Like, and, and just seeing the things that we talked about years ago coming true and knowing that that's just a kind of a sustainable ecosystem that's really neat. Like it's really neat to see that come to fruition. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I think the relationships, it sounds like are one of the best parts in terms of like the, the artists making these beautiful organic relationships. And then you're also making these great, you know, connections and lasting relationships with the artists. It sounds like you have a lot of the like recurring artists that are yeah. participating, which is amazing. And I've heard that as well. So one of the final questions that I have for you is really just what's coming up for you this year. I'm also curious to know, do you do you host the fairs in the same locations each, each year? Does that change? Um, and what's what does the rest of your year slash next year look like? Yeah. So the next year, so do we host the fairs in the same locations? As best we can. Uh, every city's different. So in, every, in the event, this is a deep question because the event, venue business is the weirdest business in the country. Um, you're, you're not just competing with art fairs. There are very few art fairs, actually. So you're competing with uh, trade shows and craft shows, but a lot of weddings as well. 2021-22 was an incredibly difficult year for us for, uh, for getting venues. We were very fortunate to get the ones that we got because all the weddings that got put off from the pandemic got pushed into 2021 and 22. So it was like, you know, these venues are like, we can make more money in 24 hours for someone's once in a lifetime special day than your 70 artists for eight days and putting up walls and all this stuff. So that's the, that's the one determining factor. I wish I could say, yeah, we're in the same spot every single year, but it is difficult because that's these venues just function strangely. So uh, we always like, for example, in New York, we're always looking for venues that are below Central Park in Manhattan. Um, that's something like, even though there's, you know, an economic shift towards Brooklyn, we've, we've thought about doing a fair in Brooklyn. That's an idea. It wouldn't be the only New York fair we did. We would do one there and in Manhattan. Um, I still think Manhattan is just like, it's, it's like the cultural epicenter. Everyone from Manhattan can get there. People from Brooklyn know how to get to Manhattan easily. You don't miss anybody. Um, so that's my, I, I, I prefer that at, like we stay in Manhattan. So we, we always look for, you know, big street level spaces. They do vary. It just depends on, on, you know, what, what comes on the market. And in terms of what we have going on this year, quite a bit, uh, we are doing, we're doubling up in some of our best markets. So we actually, this weekend that we're recording this, I'm in Mexico city, but my team is in San Francisco. Uh, we're doing our first ever fall show in San Francisco. We've done a spring show for three years. Um, and now we're doing spring and fall in New York. We're also doing spring and fall. We're doing May and September in New York. We're doing March and November in San Francisco. Uh, DC, we have in October, we may introduce a, a spring DC show as well. We have Savannah, which is a pretty new city for us. We're looking in, in the South a little more. We're, we're kind of piloting the idea of doing super fine in some smaller cities that are smaller, but very art focused. So we're looking at like the kind of mid South cities as well. Same as some of the Southwest cities. So like things like Santa Fe, Santa Barbara, um, possibly somewhere near San Diego, La Jolla, maybe. And in the Southeast, Atlanta, uh, Nashville, different cities that are growing and have been growing for the past few years 
and that they, they have our audience in them. So we're, but at the same time, we're also being a little cautious about that growth because we did grow pretty rapidly. So we're thinking like, how do we do this in a really sustainable way? It's always been the name of the game with Superfine. So I'm, I'm hopeful we'll see some new cities in 2024, 2025, but also that we're going to be doing them at times and with partners that enable us to put on the same product of a show that we do in all of our other cities. So we're starting a kind of a social group around Superfine um, that will be kind of like an art pass where in each of our major cities, we have uh, a year round uh, membership that, that for collectors, art folk, art family and friends, folks that like to do artsy things every month, not only the fair, but just to be participate in museum tours, gallery openings, things like that. So that's something that we're working on right now. We haven't launched yet. Our podcast is relaunching in December. We've been on a hiatus for about six months. Uh, we've got about 25 episodes in the vault that are going to start coming out in, in December. We'll start recording new episodes in the new year. Those will start to come out over the spring. And I don't think we'll have another hiatus until the end of 2024. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the, that's what's going on in, in our world. Amazing. Oh my gosh, so many things, but all good things and like very, very exciting. Um, I'm just so excited to continue to see Superfine expand. I always advocate anytime an artist asks me what fair they should consider applying to if they're interested, I always say Superfine because I've just heard so many great things uh, from artists who have actually participated um, and found so much value in the experience over the years. So you're doing incredible work. I, I can tell you're such an advocate for artists. And um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to continuing to follow your journey. And uh, Alex, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. The information, the tips, the tricks, the strategies that you shared for artists, I know are going to be so helpful for anyone who is listening. So thank you again. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. And I look forward to seeing you again at Superfine and hopefully having you on our podcast too. Yes, absolutely. That would be incredible. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you, guys. Take care. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to Digital Issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.